This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. Hi, Mr. Adam X. I'm your host of the Pursuit Podcast. You are watching it or listening to it on the Out of Collective. And this is my first time in the studio. So get used to seeing my ugly mug instead of Jabber's ugly mug. Uh, my guest this week, Rach McBride, I interviewed them at Sea Otter and we lost the audio. I say we because we are a collective group of humans and we make mistakes. So first off, Rach, thank you for taking the time and recording again because I know that's a pain in the butt. So now that that's out of the way, Rach is a superstar athlete, a triathlete, recently getting into mountain biking. They've gravel biked for a long time. More importantly, they are the first out non-binary triathlete. And it's important because they tell their story and we talk about it. And my favorite thing about Rach is that they're open and they're willing to have the conversations that aren't always easy to have. And it allows for people like myself to learn and listen. And it's one of my favorite things about this podcast. So episode 61 of The Pursuit with Rach McBride. But before we get into all that, I have to thank and shout out to all my sponsors. And my first sponsor this week is Rumple. You guys know them. They're blankets. They're weatherproof, durable, cozy blankets. They're made of that same techie material that, you know, your puffer jacket is made out of. They recycle over 5 million plastic water bottles a year. And here's the thing. This week and this week only, that's a lie, they do it twice a year, but in the spring, they're doing a 25% off sale. So if you're thinking about getting a blanket, now is the time to get a blanket. And we over at The Collective, in collaboration with Rumple, if you buy something on the site, use code OUTOFBOUNDSBB, and we'll get you some free beer blankets. So keep yourself warm with your blanket, and keep your beers cold with the beer blanket. Uh, they're up on the screen now. You can check them out. Out of Bounds BB, as in beer blanket. And you'll get a free beer blanket and you get 25% off site-wide, rumple.com. Now for my second ad this week, my friends over at The Feed. I love The Feed. I love what they do. I love, it's a curated website. It's one of the best websites I've ever been on in my entire life. They have a coach that pops up in the corner. You can actually ask real questions. Uh, they're actually doing a donation for a ride like Mo right now. You buy a bottle. We have one sitting right here. And they donate it to the Mo Fund. Um, and here's my favorite thing. If you go to thefeed.com forward slash the pursuit, we're giving you free Kyoku. If you don't know what Kyoko is, it's a breakfast shake. I use it as a meal replacement. I find it's, it kind of tastes like cinnamon with like a little turmeric taste to it. But my, it's just so, it's actually good. Uh, I prefer it with milk over water. And I don't have time to make breakfast. I just don't find the time. I don't enjoy cooking breakfast. So, this keeps me going. It has a ton of weird things that I don't even know because who knows about chickpeas and broccoli and chia seeds and turmeric, coconut, apple, beets, tart cherries, sweet potatoes, but they're all words I can say. So go to thefeed.com forward slash the pursuit. Get yourself some for free. Just pay $5 shipping. 
And my final sponsor this week, they are the presenting title sponsor of this show. So you guys should be familiar with them. Fisher skis. I've got a pair of Rangers behind me. Um, it's an extremely versatile series of skis. These are do it all quiver killers, stiff where they need to be stiff, soft where they need to be soft. And I know that's such a bad word when it comes to talking about skis, but they're playful. They're fun. They react the way that a ski should react. Uh, the 102 is my favorite. They make it in that Celeste. So the pink ski gang still exists, but we've kind of, we've kind of murdered it a little bit. Um, it's, it's a great ride. It's soft and cushy where it needs to be, and it's stiff and rigid where it needs to be. Um, I just love them. I really do. It's I, I got the opportunity to ski them this year, and I wanted to work with them, and we worked it out, and I'm super excited to be on them. And, you know, go to fishersports.com and see what they have to offer. They make a 116, 108, 102, 90, 96, the ultimate quiver killer. Uh, fishersports.com. Um, just kind of cold intro yourself and we'll go from there. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, I am Rach McBride, non-binary professional triathlete, and I guess gravel and mountain soon to be mountain bike racer. And, uh, yeah, I hail from Vancouver, BC, Canada. Let's talk about, let's get the non-binary I hate calling a non-binary thing, but it's important. And it's like, I didn't really fully understand it. Not from any, you know, just, I don't know what I don't know. And we've, for everyone listening, we had this conversation prior and I lost the audio. So that's on me. And Rach is a superstar and was like, yeah, let's do it again. Let's run it back. But let's just define non-binary for anyone listening so that we understand it and we can learn. Yeah, so non-binary means anyone who identifies outside of the gender binary. So folks who may not identify as man or woman, but somewhere in between. And it's as simple as that. Totally. And It's so simple. Yeah, very straightforward. Pronouns we're using they, them. So yeah, I use the pronouns they, them. Other non-binary folks may use any variety of pronouns. So they may use he, him. They may use she, her. They may use they, them. They may use all of them. They may use just some of them. They may, and it can change over time. I love that you have this conversation and I've said this before, but it, it is nice and it's nice to hear it. And maybe you're sick of talking about it, but you know, you know, saying you are nine binary that you are going to have to have these conversations and you're a professional athlete and that should always be the focus of the conversations but like being a pro let's just talk triathlon has it been has there been major hurdles being identifying as a non-binary athlete has it been open arms what's it like and what i guess maybe even deeper what is the end game I mean, the end game sounds like, but like, what is like, what is the perfect scenario for an athlete such as yourself to feel comfortable, open arms? Like, what does that look like in a perfect world? How do we make it better? Cause we're learning. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, for me, the coming out process was really supportive to start off with in the community. So 
I had kind of thrown out hints over social media just about like how I felt about gender and my identity a bit. And then it was only like two and a half years ago or so that I like actually came out as non-binary. And it's throughout this whole process, it was super positive. Like I received nothing but really um, a lot of support from my fans and sponsors and supporters. And it was only when, so there was a, the first article that was published online with Triathlete Magazine, which is an incredible article. Uh, and I think it was May of 2020. And on Facebook, that's when some of the like negative comments started. And there was a lot of like, there are only two genders and, you know, genitals make the gender and that kind of thing. And it was nothing that I had like not anticipated. Um, and to be honest, because I was so familiar with and just knew that a lot of these comments were coming from a place of more like ignorance in a way of just not understanding that I didn't, I didn't take it personally. It really uh, was incredible uh, to me. I'm really proud of myself of like, I didn't take it on personally. I was like, okay, these are not directed like personally towards me. Some of the comments were directed personally towards me. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, you know, you can have your opinion. I'm secure enough in myself. Um, and I, and I have the support around me. So like for all of the negative comments, I had allies who were stepping up online, making comments and supporting me on there. I then, when I came into competition, that was when the personal energy that I have to expend every day really came into play. Um, and that was more in terms of just really having to correct folks a lot, having commentators use incorrect pronouns um, and sometimes purposely. Uh, it, that's when I was like, okay, this is like a little bit extra that I have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis in competition in my sport. How I see this changing, I mean, I really hope that at this point, I don't know how non-binary folks fit into elite athletics. Do I think that there is a space for them and room for them? Absolutely. Like, I would love to be competing as an elite athlete in a non-binary category. Um, how do we determine what that looks like? I think that's up to non-binary folks. So once we, you know, kind of have enough, once we create the space, um, which is happening at a grassroots level for to open up a third category, then you know, once we start to get enough folks racing at an elite level, then I think that's when you want to start to have the conversations of like, okay, how, how, how do we define like who fits in this category? And I think that's the big question that we've going on, that we have going on right now in general is like how do trans and non-binary athletes fit into what is currently the binary? Yeah, it's, I don't, I have no, I, I don't know the answer and it's, 
it's fun to hear you say you don't know the answer because it is interesting. Like I, and I don't think anyone is doing this, but like if I, like I, I have testosterone, I've doped for 36 years, like, and now not saying anyone is or like drawing lines or, but if I went and competed in a female amateur contest, like I have an unfair advantage and I know they are going through hormone checks and it is so much work to even qualify to get into that type of, but it's a hot topic right now. And it's, I think the coolest answer is we don't know, but there is a place. Mm -hmm. And how do we navigate that? I don't think it's being hateful to people. I don't think it's telling people they can't play. I don't think it's, but Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. And I think in this modern era, we're so afraid to say we don't know. And that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Not knowing is mm-hmm. wrong. And it's like, no, no, no. Not mm-hmm. knowing is learning. And not knowing is like, let's navigate this properly and give everyone a place to, as simple as play outside. And I don't, you know, I played co-ed soccer as a kid. It was great. Like, it's not like it's, and that's its simplest form. But how do we bring this up to an elite level and keep it fair and safe and competitive? And I love the answer of, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, we still don't have a good enough idea of like, this is what I feel like we're trying to define now is like, what makes a man and what makes a woman? And like, I don't think we have the the full picture. It's like, even though you would consider yourself to be like doping for all your life with endogenous testosterone, it doesn't mean that like, I mean, if I, I don't, I don't know you very well, but if we jumped into a competition together, like an Ironman, I'd probably kick your ass. You would crush me. Yeah. So just because like you have testosterone doesn't mean that like, you're going to beat absolutely everybody out there or like you, you know, you do have an unfair advantage. So like, I think it's all relative. I think it's really sports specific. And I think that we just, we need way more information than we have now. And in my mind, it is important to um, err on the side of inclusion versus exclusion. Everyone has a right to participate in sport and it hurts everyone if we start excluding certain people from sport. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I don't know. It, that's right. A hundred percent. There is no, and to your point, you would crush me in an Ironman, like a hundred percent. Not, 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 no, 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 like, but it's a good, <laughs> it's a good, like put me, you know, this, I always say it like the cis white blonde hair, blue eyed female or male in check. Like I, like you would a hundred percent on your worst day, you would absolutely destroy me. I wouldn't make it out of the swim. I'd be on a canoe, like just hanging on for dear life. Like it's just a, that's, so it is, that is a great, you know, it's not a take, it's a fact. Like you would, so how do you figure that out and how do you navigate it? And it's, yeah. and I think, you know, and I, I want to say it, maybe it's not the opinion of everyone else, but like there is no person sitting on the couch right now who is a male who's like, I'm going to just consider myself trans to go win these female competitions like that argument is like so ignorant and moronic and like 
Yeah. But that's like the argument. Like, oh, I'm going to go compete in female sports. I'm like, well, one, good luck because they're going to crush you. But two, <laughs> like, no one is doing that. And, like, every trans, non-binary athlete who is putting themselves out there, like, that takes so much courage and effort that, like, no one wants to do that for fun. Like, in, yeah. if that makes sense. Like, you are an yeah. elite athlete and you're putting yourself out there and you have to worry about so much more than just competing than a, I don't want to say, I don't ever want, this is the wrong term and I'll just say it, but then a normal athlete, right? Like, you have to train like an athlete, do all the things like an athlete, and then you have to worry about what the announcer, what pronoun the announcer is going to use at the finish line or even mm -hmm. interviews like this where you're like, I'm tired of talking about it, but you know that signing up for it, not saying you signed up, but like, and you, like you have to put yourself out there. Yeah. 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 I'm not tired of talking about it. You know, what really um, energizes me is every time I talk about this and I do a podcast or an interview or an article of some kind, I have people who reach out and are like, thank you so much for being out. Like, thank you for showing up and being visible because I feel, you know, I feel out of the box in some way, or I have a child who identifies as non-binary or trans. And this is like really helpful for me and my child. And so that's what keeps me really motivated to continue having these conversations. Um, yeah. That's why I wanted to have it twice. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I learned so much. Cause like, I don't always get this opportunity to just like, I can't speak to how you feel. So hearing it and again, saying you don't know is like, that's my favorite answer ever. Cause that's what I always say. Yeah. I'm like, I have no idea. And you don't know what you don't know. And we're learning and we're growing and that's that. Let's talk about everything else now. <laughs> you're a triathlete. You do Ironman. So we know you're off as a human because anyone who's willing <laughs> to sign up for that is an insane human being. Uh, you started this later in your career, which I think is important to, to note that like you didn't really start professional racing until you were in your 30s, correct? Correct. Yeah, I was 32 when I turned pro. I was 28 when I did my first triathlon, and then 32 when I jumped in full time. And you had a whole life before this. You've got degrees that I can't Multiple say words. Careers, yeah. <laughs> what What caused the switch? Um. Well, it was just to like kind of start at the beginning. I mean, I was an athlete as a kid. I quit when I was 15, pretty much all endurance sports and was like way more into being creative and smoking and being part of the music scene in Toronto and then studying genetics. And it was when I was doing my first graduate degree and I just like wasn't happy with where I was and I was like, I'm going to do something epic. I'm going to run a marathon. So I trained for a marathon. I did pretty well, qualified for Boston, ran the Boston Marathon. And then the people who I was training for, and, and it was something that like immediately I was like in a community and I had these folks that I was like training with and I felt like I belonged and I just felt it was, and I was like getting fit and more healthy 
finally quit smoking. Uh, and then I did, yeah, um, p- people I was training with for Boston, they were into triathlon. So, and I had a mentor who was like, you could be an elite triathlete. And I'm like, I'm going to be an elite triathlete, <laughs> even though I've never done a triathlon before in my life. I don't have friends like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> They're like, no way. Not a chance. <laughs> don't even think about it. <laughs> um, and yeah, I did my first race and almost won it and just like was hooked, absolutely hooked. And I spent a couple of years like working in labs, doing research and for a drug development company. And then and then I got burnt out somehow within two years, got burnt out doing triathlon. I was like, I'm retiring. <laughs> Went back to school, did another degree. Um, and just bike race during that time, came out of that degree. That's when I was 32 and was like, oh, I'm really burnt out from studying. I'm just going to take the summer off and race some triathlon. My coach was like, you should try this long distance triathlon thing. And I um, then was going to like get back, get into my career in the fall after I took a summer just playing around. And that was 11 years ago. I never pursued that career. I basically did my first half iron triathlon was like, nope, I'm going to do this as my full-time job and see how it goes. Took the jump. And it's been great. It's been I'm living the dream. I love, like, I have never been happier. I've never known that, like, your job could not feel like work. Now I'm, like, as I am entering the, like, potential twilight of my career, I'm, like, I wonder, like, what I'm going to do next that is gonna, I'm going to be so passionate about. And life is way too short to not find something that I am as passionate about. And that gives me such joy. I, you know, I love the process. I love training. I love like today after this podcast, I'm going out for a six hour ride. I can't wait. Um, I, and to be able to like train and travel all over the world and race all over the world. Like it's so cool. It's, I feel so privileged to be able to have this life. Why? triathlons like why Ironman because that seems like to me and some people listening know this but like I've worked for Ironman for years I've done bike course I've done venue management it even like elite athletes like yourself at the end I'm like no they didn't have fun like they there's no (laughs) way they enjoyed that like not there's absolutely no way that that was a good time yeah. <laughs> but like, so like, it makes a little more sense to me now that you're pro and you're elite and you have sponsors and like, but like the first time you do this, it's a suffer fest always. And you're just doing it for yourself. But like what, if you had to pitch Iron Man to anyone listening in like, I don't know, let's say a paragraph, like what and why? Well, to me, um, as someone with ADHD, it's like having three sports to train for is super fun. So it means I don't get bored just doing one sport all the time. Um, If you get injured in one sport, then there are two others that you can train in. Um, And to me, I 
I feel the most like focused and in myself when I'm training and racing, like the doing exercise or whatever. Um, and I think for Ironman and like long distance and ultra distance events are, I feel like are anyone who wants to learn about themselves and who wants to push their boundaries and see what they're capable of. And I feel like that sense of accomplishment, like I still can't rack the, my, wrap my head around the fact that I like swim a 1.2.4 miles and then I bike 112 miles and then I run a marathon off of that. It's like just running a marathon in and of itself is like epic, but to do all of that and then run a marathon, I'm like, this is freaking crazy. It's insane. Um, but you like I what I have learned about myself through sport is incredible. Like I am a completely different and I think well-rounded and person uh, through from what I learned through sport. Yeah, it's such an interesting triathlon specifically because it's such an individual sport. Like you train with friends and like, that's all great. And you ride bikes and you, whatever. But like when it comes to the sport specifically, Ironman is very individual. Like you can't, you can't ride yeah. in packs. You can't draft. You cannot like you have a hundred yards to make a pass or whatever. Like it is solely eight to 12 hours by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> what do you you can't listen to music when you race right you have to have no. what is your training music when you're like going out for your ride later um well let's see i have a bit of a playlist um i tend to if i don't have music going on in my head i probably have like a short little verse of one song, like going over and over and over and over and over and over in my head, which sometimes is great and helps me just kind of like focus in the moment. And sometimes I'm just like, can I please get this song out of my head? It's driving me nuts. Um, so, and my playlist is like, I mean, it is super scattered. It's like anywhere from like, I feel like there's some, Riot Girl stuff on there. There's like dance music. There is some like indie stuff, Nine Inch Nails, Industrial. It really like runs the gamut. I just like throw all of this stuff in there. Like, oh, this sounds interesting. I listen to a podcast called Song Exploder. I don't know if you know. It's like amazing. They, it is so great. They like break down songs, right? Yeah, they talk to the artists and they tell, talk about like how they made the song, basically, like what went into the process. And I listened to like even some like super cheesy pop star on there. And I was like, oh, that's so fascinating. And then you have this different appreciation for the music. It's very, very cool. Anyway, I, ha I get a lot of like music insights from that. So a lot of songs get thrown in there from there. If you were to listen to one album on repeat for the rest of your life, what would you listen to? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, when's the last time you like listened to a whole album all the way through besides like, 
I mean, I remember when I was like a teenager and you still had CDs and I would just like throw on a CD and like listen to it over and over and over again. And right now I'm like a bit of a nomad doing band life. And for the first time in a long time, I have a CD player in my van and I have like, I just found these like bags of CDs that I saved um, from a very long time ago. And so I've just been like throwing in CDs over and over. And what is one that I would listen to on repeat? Um, you know, this is going to date me. And this is also really hilarious. But the Pearl Jam's 10 I was obsessed with that album when it came out and it's like varied enough that I could probably listen to that over and over and over. That's an acceptable answer. That's not dating. I mean, I feel people like Pearl Jam's timeless, like people. Yeah, totally. But you funny. You say who listens to albums. I listen to albums. Like no way I am an album because to me, like I'm a photographer by trade and I don't like to be like, I'm an artist, but like I am. So like yeah. I I think when I think about an album, they curated that album. Like I never listened to it on shuffle. I listened to it in the order that they put mm-hmm. the songs out because that's their masterpiece at the time. And yeah. like some are terrible. Yeah. Like, but when I feel like that's just my personal. I love albums, and I think we're in the world of singles now, where yep. bands just put out singles and they put out singles and they're making more money off of that, and that's fantastic because they can spread the album out through you know three four months and just put out two songs a week or whatever but i love like it just becomes to me like they're painting like you're like one song is just like one line on the painting and this is like yeah who am i i don't know but like i just love albums i think it's such an important and maybe it's just to the testament of music i listen to like i listen to like a lot of really bad like hardcore music and like (laughs) punk albums and like, they're not putting out these big, they're not putting out these one hit wonders because they don't have a one hit wonder. They just have like a, you know, a a hardcore album will have 40 songs on it and it'll be 27 minutes long. And like, that's their, that's (laughs) it. That's it. Like that's everything. It's one full story. And so I don't know. I am an album guy for some, no, I totally get it. It's like, I don't, I appreciate like an artist or a band has like, they have curated the order of these songs and what songs have gone into this album. And it's true. Like, I find it really hard. I don't actually, I will not put an album in and then like put that on shuffle. I will listen to it like from the first track to the last track, because I'm like, this is what the artist intended. It's like, there's so many albums like that. Like even like so many Nine Inch Nails, uh, Radiohead, uh, like things like Pink Floyd, The Wall. Like, I don't know how I could probably recite that entire album, like from start to finish. I've listened to it so many times and it's like, it's there. It is a work of art from start to finish. Yeah. And I think it's changed with modern artists for sure. So that's why maybe people don't listen to, but it is like, you know, you hear, a song on the radio if I don't really listen but once in a while you listen to the radio and yeah. like you're expecting that next song to come on 
yeah. because you know yeah. there's a two second delay and then it's boom, it's the next song. And you're like, oh no, this is a radio. It's not. So yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Let's yeah. talk. This is, this is recent. You were very public about it. So we'll talk about it. St. George Iron Man. Yeah. It seemed very rough for you. Well, it was more the like lead up into it was quite rough of just like being injured, not being able to train how I, I basically had two weeks of solid training where I would typically have like 12 weeks of solid training. So it was a very different lead up. And I mean, talk about, you know, you're ta- you, you mentioned like everybody, like nobody's having fun in Ironman during, <laughs> I was like singing along on the bike and like having a good time and looking around and then like on the run, like lots of high fives and dancing to the music that I ran past. Like I was having a good time and I got comments from people. They're like, you were the only pros actually enjoying themselves out there. And I'm like, yeah, everyone is so serious. I'm like cheering on my competitors and like, they're very serious. Um, and I mean, yes, it's the world championships. Of course, like it's serious. Um, I think there is space still to be, you know, I don't know, a little bit lighthearted in racing, especially if you're going to be out there for so many hours. And I think it's just being real, like navigating expectations. Like you were going into this world championships, like it was, it was moved. It was delayed. Normally it's in Kona. It's in St. George in Utah. It's hot as all hell. I assume Yep. You, you're nursing a knee injury, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I had had a bruised patella, so it was a bone injury, um, and some soft tissue underneath that. So it took a long time to heal and it was finally like solid by race day, but it's like, why I wasn't able to race sea otter a couple of weeks prior to that. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I had tempered expectations. I knew it was going to be a challenge even just to like get through the whole run of the marathon. I didn't know how that was going to go. And so I did really have to race the smartest race I could and really hold back on the bike so that I could have a solid run solid for what I was capable of. And I think everything was, was awesome. Everything went so well, even like the first half of the run, I was like, and I was running quite well and was felt amazing, which is awesome. And then, uh, shit hit the fan literally. <laughs> and I was, it, yeah, my nutrition just got a little bit off and I was running from porta potty to porta potty. So that was a bit of a bummer. Um, but, and so it took a chunk of time off the second half of my run, but, I finished that run like down into the finish shoot. Like my form still looked good. I felt good. Like I was all things considered. I was really happy with the race. And um, yeah, I mean, like I mentioned online, I am, I have never been prouder of the second to last finish. Um, Yeah. I'm, I'm proud of myself for what I did out there and excited for the rest of the season and to continue building my fitness up to where it, should be but it's a testament to who you are as a human as an athlete and being so vocal about it being like every dog has its day and like it just wasn't your day and there was obviously 
like circumstances that led up to that, you know, you were nursing an injury, but like the fact that you were just like, I got second to last, I had horrible stomach issues. That is like my favorite thing to read. No offense, but from an elite athlete being like, Oh, Mm. they're human. Like, like, Oh, they, their stomach is a mess. And like, they, you know, they had, bowl of pasta yesterday it didn't sit like it, this is normal and like to win or stay at that elite level like you have to have some maybe it's luck on your side of just feel some days mm-hmm. you wake up and you feel great and you can mm-hmm. eat I eat blocks of cheese every day and I'm like yes <laughs> like I feel great and like but like sometimes you have a cup of coffee and it doesn't sit well or and it was so refreshing and again uh, just a testament to who you are with being transparent to your fans and I think that's why you have this fantastic fan base and support from your sponsors that you're like considering the circumstances I crushed it and I'm proud of yeah. that and it's not like it was like a little feat anyway. Like you finished a fucking Ironman. Like that's more than I do in a week anyway. I rode eight miles this morning and I'm like, oh, my legs are tired. Like, and it was flat. If we did 300 foot of vert, I'd be impressed. But I think it's just important to be that open and transparent and just like, you're a role model in every aspect for an age grouper who's competing in those events and, Sometimes those people are the worst. And it's like, well, they are. And it's like, you know, I've done bike course for years and I don't anymore, but like, you got to cut people off. Like you're not going to make it. It's mathematically impossible for you to get off this course before cars. And they're like pissed at you. And you're like, it's not my fault. I'm not saying it's your fault, but like today is not your day and that's okay. And just, yeah. You know, I don't want to say train harder, but like sometimes you just don't have it. And yeah. not saying you didn't have it, but you muscled through it and got through it. And considering, like, I couldn't two weeks from now, I could never do an Ironman. It's a year from now, I couldn't do an Ironman. So, like, the fact that you were nursing an injury, got off off the couch, quote unquote, and just attacked it. If your stomach felt good that day, it would have been a whole different scenario with no minimal training. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, full disclosure, like I've been in a pro athlete for over a decade. So I have some level of base fitness. Uh, it, you know, it's not like it's my first race, but I had been waiting for that race for two years. And there was no way that I was going to let anything get in the way of getting to that start line, unless I was going to like really injure myself for any reason. But, you know, I knew I could make it to the finish line. Um, It was just, I was just so grateful to be able to make it to that start line. And, um, and I think being authentic is interesting. I think it's so boring when you see folks online who it's just like, it's all positive, it's all great, all sunny and shiny. And like, you know, my crushing my workouts all the time. I'm so perfect. I look so filtered and beautiful and whatever. And, um, and I think that's bullshit. Like that's not life. And that's not what's interesting. It's interesting to like, 
Yeah, I want people to know that it's like there are hard days and there I am totally human. Um, I have feelings, I have injuries, I have, you know, things that go wrong and just like everybody else. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really happy to be out there and be authentic because I think I, I expect that from everybody else. Also, let's just note that like second to last at world championships championships is still like, I don't know how many competitors there were, but like your top, whatever in the world. Yeah. Yeah. 21st in the world. That's great. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's word it like that. You're 21st <laughs> in the world on your bad day. Yeah. Like that's, that's pretty rad. Yeah. Like that's nothing. Yeah. Second to last sounds so much worse than 21st in the world. Let's go with that. <laughs> We're just going to start saying we should get a medal. I'm going to make you a medal. that says 21st in the world. 21st. Yeah, we need to celebrate other victories. <laughs> Like 21st in the world is impressive. Um, switching from Ironman, you've recently yeah. just started riding a mountain bike, like competitively or not, maybe not even competitively. Like you messaged me and was like, Hey, I've ridden my mountain bike for the fifth time. And this is amazing. And I was like, yeah, Ironman's fucking stupid. And mountain biking is so much more fun. And here's a tip. You can actually mountain bike and then you can just swim after for leisure. Like, it's one of my favorite things to actually do, but this is a whole new avenue for you. Oh yeah. Again, I always ask, but like, why, like why make this transition from, and I'm sure you'll still do the Ironman thing, but like to this gravel bike, which is another insane sport. Why don't we just mountain bike? If we're going to gravel bike, let's just mountain bike. <laughs> and secondly, like what, what is the, what is the trigger for this switch? What is the like light switch going off? It's saying, you know, I'm going to start racing mountain bikes. Is it sponsors yelling at you? Is it just your inner being? What is, what makes someone who's 21st in the world at something want to try to do something else? Well, um, I have actually been racing gravel since 2013. So quite a number of years, and um, mostly in the Pacific Northwest and more local races. And I just loved it. I love it. I love being off-road. I love being, I started actually more of my Ironman training started to be on my gravel bike just because like it got me off of the road, out of traffic, into really interesting places. During the pandemic, I went off and like did some incredible gravel camps. and. Um, and so at the end of last year, I raced like what was then my biggest like gravel race ever in Arkansas, um, Big Sugar. And um, that is when shortly after that, the Lifetime Grand Prix was announced, which is uh, it's like an, uh, you have to apply to get into it. And so it's like 30 30 racers in each category. There's a big prize purse, which is like a first in gravel history. And it's a series of six races. And I was like, I'm applying for this. This sounds awesome. Um, it's going to force me to do the race that I'm doing in two weeks, finally, which is Unbound, which I have been, it's like the, probably the biggest gravel race in the world. And I have been like, yeah, 
just like I had to, I would, yeah, had it on my calendar last year, had to defer it. It's like a 12 hour race. It's not something that you can just like jump in and do and fit in a full Ironman calendar. And so it's always been tough to fit in these gravel majors. So I was like, all right, I'm applying for this. If I get in, that's, I'm going to do this. And I didn't really, when I accepted the invite, I didn't really think about how much it was going to take over my year (laughs) of racing (laughs) and how much mountain bike racing was in there. And prior to um, being accepted into the series, I had ridden a mountain bike once 10 years ago. So I was like, when I realized what I was doing, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. I'm going to be racing Leadville 100, which is like, you know, one of the biggest mountain bike races in the world. So, um, and I'm racing against like mountain bike Olympians. Not only am I like new to mountain biking, but I'm racing the best in the world at it. Um, So yeah, it was a bit of a shock. And I, I knew that like in gravel terms, I was like, I was pretty okay uh, on the technical side of things. I it wasn't super risk adverse. And now that I am starting to ride mountain bikes, I just came from like a couple days in Moab where now my, literally I got off the bike off my last day of riding there. And I was like in the parking lot, just like jumping for joy because I had had so much fun. And I'm like, I love mountain biking now i want to quit everything and become a mountain biker i just want to live in my van and drive around this like i i now like understand why people do this of just like go from mountain bike destination to mountain bike destination and i think what has attracted me so much to it is again with the like adhd side of things it's like when i am on the trails and when i am doing when I am riding out there in the middle of nowhere, I am focused. Like the only thing that is happening in that moment is like, I am focusing on like staying, you know, rubber side down and like, see, like, I mean, it's incredible the places that you can ride. And now I am just so, I'm so impressed with what I can ride a bike, a bike over. I'm just like, oh shit like I just rode my bike down that that's crazy because prior to this I thought mountain bikers were crazy I was like what the heck are you doing riding your bike down like this insanity like that's death (laughs) and now I'm like oh that was kind of fun I bet you I could do that yeah there's something to it I mean I mountain biked a lot when I was younger and then I last year I like fell back in love with it and it's the same thing. Like I went, I go on a big trip every year. I go out West and I'm a big skier. That's my thing. And I found myself like I would ski in the morning. And then when I was in Salt Lake, I'd, I'd dip out and go mountain bike in the afternoon. And I'm like, Oh, like this is like, like, am I switching my obsessions here? Like this isn't cool. But I think with, and maybe you get this and I'm not comparing myself to you cause I'm not even close to your level of, but like, because I'm this, like this podcast host, people assume I'm like good at skiing or mountain biking. And I'm like, 
don't know. I just like the I just enjoy it so much that like I am learning and I'm continuing to learn. And every time I go yeah. out, I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm sure you're getting some of that with like you're this pro elite athlete and like riding the bike is easy, but like you're learning all these new skills now and like your role. Oh, yeah. Like, tri bikes, you are you are forward and you are down and you just you just pedal. Like I'm not saying it's yeah. easy, but like they don't turn. They're actually horrible at turning. Like they're not made they're made to be arrow and very nerdy and like just head down and focused and you pedal. Like Yeah. And a mountain bike is everyone you have your own style. You can skid turn. You can do it. It's like this whole going back to art. It's like this freedom of expression on like how you want it to look and how you want it to feel and the way it makes you feel. And like, I get it. I get why people, I would get, that makes sense to me that you're like, Oh, I want a mountain bike. Cause it's the greatest thing on the planet. As far as like a way to get around. And like, you were just in Moab, the sightseeing. I was like, I could walk this or I could mountain bike this. And this is like, yeah. And modern technology with mountain bikes is like, it's insane. It's just, e it's not easy, but like, the bikes do their jobs. Like they're 29 inch tires and they just roll over everything. And like, they're pretty cushy and they're great. Like I know you're on a proto. We won't talk about it, but I know all your secrets. I know all about that proto. Um, but how are, speaking of proto, how are sponsors to you like attempting this new Avenue? They're all over it. I mean, gravel, for one is exploding and this lifetime grand prix is a big deal. It's a really big deal in the gravel world. And so they, I are loving the fact that I am racing gravel and mountain bike now. Um, and which is awesome. It's really neat to just like have them behind pretty much everything that I'm doing. And, um, it doesn't, you know, for me, it doesn't mean that I am transitioning out of triathlon. I still have really big triathlon goals. I still have big races I want to do. I have big goals um, that I want to do in the world of triathlon. And, um, yeah, like I said, I just didn't know how, how much this, you know, having a big race like this in the Grand Prix every month this summer. I was like, oh, okay, there, I got to wait to do another Ironman for a while. Um, at least to the fall. And I think also, uh, yeah, right now I'm just loving it so much because I have that super steep learning curve. It's like every single ride I am going out and learning a ton and, um, and knowing that this, the mountain bike skills are going to translate into my gravel riding skills. Um, and so, you know, it just helps boost my competitive level on the gravel side as well. Um, yeah. How do you feel? This is a total side swerve. How do you feel about suspension forks on gravel bikes? Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, right now I'm riding with a bit of a suspension stem, the redshift stem, yeah. and I freaking love it. It just like takes a little bit of the it's like a, just a little bit of the edge off of um, the bumpy terrain. And I think that that's kind of the next thing is going to be like short travel front suspension in gravel bikes, because what we're seeing, I think is 
like there are a lot of horses that it's like either you could ride a hardtail or you could ride a gravel bike and you see both types of bikes winning but it it's kind of like a combination like the best of both worlds bringing in the best of both worlds um yeah i think it's going to be the next thing for sure it's funny you said that uh redshift because we just got uh little care package from we're going to do some reviews on the stem and the seat post and they just came out with new pedals this isn't a sponsor um this is just we just got them and uh jabber the other host he's actually been riding that stem for a long time and i was like it's got to be a gimmick like it's a gimmick no way and he's like dude yeah it's it's phenomenal like it's just a little bit like it's not like a full like people think like they hear and you're like no it's just like a skateboard bushing like for lack of just enough to take i actually asked pete Stetna the same question and he was like, it is so like, he can go to like his low with the suspension, uh, fork. And he's like, yeah. you can go to like these gnarly old school mountain bike trails that were made for like 26 inch tires and like our old school mountain bikes where like our new plush bikes not, aren't that fun at these trails anymore. He's like, and then you take a yeah. gravel bike there and you're just like, like you are terrified in the best ways the whole time because you're just like oh my god this is what they were riding almost like almost you know like it's a whole because the bikes have gotten so good that some of the trails haven't kept up with like how gnarly how gnarly of terrain the bikes can handle now so he's like i just bring my gravel bike there and it's just insane and i'm terrified the whole time and like (laughs) <laughs> and he had a broken wrist when I asked him. So he's like, oh, I love it because my wrist is broken. So this has been phenomenal. But it's uh, – I just love to see, like, is this a fad or is this in or is this, like, the future? I don't. I have no idea. I don't. It's just fun to hear, like, the courses are getting crazier, right? Like, they're yeah. just getting – so it's like, okay, now are we just – are we just mountain biking again, but we're on gravel bikes? Like at what point are we just like, okay, now we have full suspension on our gravel bikes and surprise we're on a mountain bike. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's super fun. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't ridden one, so I can't knock it yet. Yeah. And I mean, I came from the same, like when I started gravel riding, I was on a road bike I was on like, you know, full carbon road bike and just put like a little bit larger tires on and was riding gravel. And then I like graduated to a cyclocross bike and then gravel bikes finally came out. And so now I look back and I'm like, that is freaking insane. Like, how was I even tolerating like riding gravel on a road bike? That's crazy. But, you know, there was no other option. So, yeah, we're just like the old people are like, you just. Did what you had to do at the time. Like you guys yeah. got it easy. In my day. Yeah. Like that's where we're at though. Like even like when I'm with I wrote, you know, I'm riding with Jabber and all those they're ten, fifteen years younger than me. And I'm like, you guys have no idea like what this is versus what it used yeah. to be. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I'm the old man now that I'm just like, you kids don't get it. Um a <laughs> couple more questions for you. You're a self proclaimed minimalist. I think it's important to talk about you spend a lot of your probably summer in a van so that's easy like but what does like the home life look like do you just have like like what does the minimalist thing mean to you and do you just have like 15 bikes on the wall and then like no toaster (laughs) (laughs) yeah i used to have no toaster and no kettle um now i have a toaster and a kettle I, i caved on those things but 
Yeah, it's like I, um, if I can have, you know, at home, like two, two pairs of utensils, two everything, like, you know, just so I can have company sometimes. Um, but like, I, I feel like, like the accumulation of stuff, I mean, even bikes, like having too many bikes and just like, oh, I'm really overwhelmed with like, if I could just clear out and somehow just like survive off of like one or two bikes, that would be amazing. But do too many sports. To, They're to tools. Like down. you can't use the same <laughs> screwdriver for everything. It just doesn't work. For sure. Like it's a tool sure. and you have to have tools to do the job yeah. properly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, it means that I am just really conscious about the decisions that I make around my travel, how I travel, where I travel. Um, you know, I am not going to like fly halfway around the world four or five times a year just for shits and giggles. I'm not going to go and like fly somewhere for two days to do like a photo shoot or something. And then back, like I really consider where and how I spend like the carbon emissions for one. And then also what I accumulate. So I don't, I don't like having excess of anything. I find like having clutter is just, it clutters my head as well. And so I like to keep things. And that's why like van life is so satisfying for me. It's just like, you have to have the bare essentials. You can't really accumulate a whole bunch of things or you're, you know, sleeping with, I don't, I don't even know what these extra t-shirts Boxes that you got. Smith and, helmets. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. So um, I just find it really satisfying. And I find that it um, just helps me keep perspective about like what is really important. What I asked you this question before, so you're, you should be prepared. What is one thing you can't live without in the van that is not food? Okay. Um, I have been thinking about this. So um, before I left, one of my best friends gave me this like fuzzy blanket thing that's just like, it's big, it's bulky, it's, uh, it's light colored, so it doesn't even like travel well with like bikes and bike grease and stuff. Um, but it's just like so soft and cozy. And, um, and I was like, I have to bring this, I have to bring it. And I even have like, pants that are like I call them like fraggle pants that are basically made out of the same material that like are complete excess like I don't need this extra pair of like cozy pants but they're I just like put them on and I'm like with my blank my fuzzy blanket and I'm like like I have this like little fur nest yeah well I think people think when you're in a van that you're just like roughing it and you're like no I just have what I need for the most part and like (laughs) like it's not always it doesn't have to be like this roughing it scenario. And it's like, it is my bed. Like I'm, I'll sleep in my bed. Cause it's my bed that's in my van. And yeah. So it's funny when people say it like, Oh, I brought these puffy pants that I didn't have to bring or soft. Blank. Like I travel, I have my weighted blanket and like it, yeah. I sleep oh, so yeah. well with a weight. And it's like annoying in the van. Cause you like move all your, you know, you kind of, well, at least I do. Cause I'm a mess, but like, I like barf all my stuff off my bed. And then I like, 
sleep and then like I barf all the stuff back <laughs> out of the bed and like so I can drive and like you know it's like so but my weighted blanket is like so heavy and awkward and I'm like I have to have this like I just it's something yeah. that I bring and I have a billion pounds of coffee and 17 different ways to make it because I can't just do pour over I might have to do AeroPress one like those are like mine I'm like I just have yeah. to like I like the different sometimes I cook with a jet boil sometimes like I don't know I'm not you know I'm not a minimalist minimalist in my brain, but because I have the van and I'm in it so often that I'm like, oh, I guess I am in a way, but like, I don't know. I got a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah, hard yeah. being, this is a bad complaint, but like, you know, you are a sponsored athlete and like you have to have the newest and greatest wildcats on and you have to have the forefront too. And they're sending you two different colors and like amazing sponsors are phenomenal and they, keep you employed and that's what you have to do but it's like you get so much stuff sometimes you're like I don't even know like please someone take these or like <laughs> it's so thank you to sponsors um any sponsors that you want to thank specifically brands you want to thank people you want to thank I don't want to keep you too long I've had you for an hour we've already recorded once before so thank you for doing this again um Thank you for telling your story. It's phenomenal. It's important. That's why I wanted to get you on again. So thank you and anyone to thank. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be here without um, specifically Diamondback, um, who, yeah, are just like the gravel bikes and the mountain bikes that I get to ride are just so amazing and fun. The um, And head who is actually, I'm super stoked, Head's going to be here for Unbound, and it's going to be my crew, which I am very excited about. Um, and uh, and it's just an incredible woman-owned company. And um, at Smith, of course, like, keeps my head safe <laughs> because I seem to crash my mountain bike quite a lot. That's what happens so, when we learn. Yes. <laughs> Um, I currently, I don't think I've broken ribs, but I think I have some kind of like pretty significant rib injury right now. Um, but you know, I can still breathe uh, <laughs> and ride a bike. Um, and, uh, and I'm still running. So Topo Athletic, um, are my run shoes and, uh, yeah, they've got really, really cool stuff coming out. Well, where can people follow you, find you, stay up to date on what you are doing? Um, yeah. Um, oh, and of course, I forgot Flush Global, which is clothing sponsor. You're wearing it. Uh, this, this is visual. We're doing You're in the studio now, so it'll look totally different. <laughs> amazing. Um, uh, the best way to find me is on Instagram at Rachel McBee. That's R-A-C-H-E-L-M-C-B. Uh, and yeah, I'm really responsive there. If anyone sends me a note, I will reply back to you. Cool. Thank you again yeah. for doing this and taking the time and I'll blame Ethan. He's in the other room. He's probably going to give me a thumbs down soon, but we just lost <laughs> your audio. So I apologize. <laughs> it happens. We're human. Uh, we lost my audio actually. So we didn't lose yours. Yours was fine, um, but, um, thank you again.